Hello and welcome to the Every Woman podcast. I'm your host Anna and every month we'll be bringing you the stories, insights and opinions of inspiring people in business on a wide range of topics, asking the questions you want the answers to and doubtless prompting some more in the process. So today we're talking to Jennifer Petrieri, uh, author of Couples That Work, about how you can have a successful career and a relationship and what's needed to combine the two. So welcome, Jennifer. Thanks. It's great to be here. So let's talk about this research area. Why were you drawn to this particular area of research? And what's your own background and how does that fit in with this? So I'm a a scholar, a researcher by trade, and I work in business schools. And for the past 15 years, I've been researching people's careers and their leadership journeys. And I kept hearing people time and time again tell me, you know, if you really want to understand my career, you really should talk to my partner. And of course, Mm. I, you know, I went and looked at the statistics. And now in the UK alone, almost 70% of couples are working couples. And so we're all in it together. You know, most of us have a partner who works. And for most of us, our partner influences our work in lots of different ways, not just support, but in terms of how our careers interact, whether we can take promotions, geographic moves, all of this stuff. And there'd just be no research on this. There's a lot of research on work-life balance, but really nothing looking at how two people's careers interact with each other over the long term. Mm. And and I mean, in terms of, you know, that, that's the sort of fundamental thing, isn't it, You'd work for work-life balance? Absolutely. And I think when we talk about work-life balance, people often talk about individuals, you know, what's your work-life balance? But you can't get balance yourself unless you have, you're in sync with your partner and you've figured out how your two careers interact with each other. And only once that layer is done, can you really look at your own work-life balance? All right. So let's look at the central issues of couples with dual careers. What are the key moments of conflict and potential moments of opportunity there? Yeah, it's really interesting you should ask because often when we talk about working couples, we think about it's it's always a struggle. But that's not what my research showed. My research showed there were three key times in our working lives where it's particularly challenging. And if couples work through these periods well, then they they have, you know, a pretty good life, a successful life. And by successful I mean, you know, they feel successful in their careers and their and their lives, not some objective measures success. Hmm. And these came at three particular points. So the first one is really interesting because all couples face this first transition. When they get together and they hit their first big decision, which usually coincides with a life event. So the classic things are, you know, we, we get together, we're in this lovely honeymoon period. And then let's say one of us gets a job offer on the other side of the country. Oh, you know, what do we do? Does one person follow? Do we, you know, live apart? Do we try to commute? Big decision, a time when we really need to think about integrating our careers. It might Mm. be the arrival of a first child. You know, for all your listeners who have children, we know that's the end of having parallel career tracks. We really Mm. need to coordinate at that point. For those of us who get together later in life, it might be a decision about blending families from previous relationships. Again, these big decisions make us really consider, okay, how is this going to work? How are we going to combine our careers in a way and our lives in a way that enable us both to have two careers and a decent relationship. And at this point, the struggle tends to come from the practicalities, right? Childcare, logistics, um, you know, geography, economics. 
And these, these practical issues are very, very important. They're also a little bit of a red herring I found because of course these practical issues are important, but the the questions, the psychological questions, if you like, couples are really facing at this stage are couples of power, right? Who gets mm. to lead and who gets to follow? They're questions of desire and questions of ambition. Whose ambition gets recognized and supported and whose has to take a back seat? And so what happens at this transition is couples who really stick just to that practical level tend not to do so well. And very often, and I'm sure you know couples like this and your listeners can think of couples like this, they'll say, you know, I've synced, we've synced our calendars and we have spreadsheets that says who should do what and it's still not working. And the reason it's still not working is that's not really what the issue is about. The issue is about these more fundamental questions of, you know, whose career is more important, if anyone's? How are we going to support each other? And what I find is that if couples can tackle these more fundamental questions, then it makes the practicalities clearer and easier to deal with because there's a logic by which we're doing them, right? Why are we splitting the, the childcare this way? Why are we dividing our work travel that way? There's a logic which is based on, you know, we understand each other's ambitions, each other's goals, and this is what we're going to do to support it. Do you think that, I mean, given that, do you think that people should be acknowledging that it's about power uh, quite fundamentally and discussing and thinking about this ahead of time, uh, you know, far earlier than they do. I mean, certainly that's difficult. I think when you have a first child, for example, I don't think you realise as a woman how things shift. Uh, so you're not anticipating having to sort that out and you're sort of doing it to catch up. Should this be a sort of emotional intelligence piece where people are more informed ahead of time that they're going to be encountering these? You know, Absolutely. Bit? I couldn't agree more. And, and really my aim and ambition with the with the book is to change the conversations we're having with each other, both the conversations we have with our partners, but also the conversations we have in forums like this and with, you know, our girlfriends and, uh, and our, our friends down the pub at night and things like this to really think about these things. Because if we take the power issue, it sounds like a dirty word, doesn't it? But mm. it, when I think of power in a relationship, I'm really thinking, who is it that gets the shot at pursuing their dreams. They might be career dreams. They might be, you know, a hobby you really want time to pursue. They might be joint dreams around having financial stability or, you know, what kind of couple do we want to be? Do we want to be an adventurous couple or a couple really embedded in our community? And who is it in the couple who gets those dreams supported? Now, what tends to happen almost always in the early days of a relationship is that power is fairly equal, right? We, You know what it's like those early days? We talk all the time. We understand what each mm -hmm. other want. We're super supportive. And then the scales often start to tip. And there's key times they start to tip and these transitions are these key times. And the reason they start to tip is, you know, life gets busy and we stop talking about these things. And it's very rarely that one partner is trying to grab the power. It's more that we start to sweep things under the carpet. You know, we make a decision because it seems to make sense or, you know, the economics stack up. But all the time it's, it's swinging this pendulum of power towards one partner or the other. And I think it's also important to recognize that power is not necessarily related to who earns the most. You know, I remember one gentleman I was talking to in a couple who had a very powerful job. He earned, you know, quite a lot of money. And he said, you know, I feel like my, um, my career has been a failure. 
And I was shocked. You know, he's a very successful guy. And he said, you know, a lot of what I've done is just got up every morning and carried on. And I had dreams of going into entrepreneurship. I had dreams of, you know, going back and to school and studying. And all the time, I've just kept on this treadmill to really support, in his case, his wife's dreams, which was a rather unusual career in the arts. So we need to think a bit differently about power. It's interesting coming on to that idea of decisions. I sort of just make a little note as you were talking there that sometimes the sensible decisions in inverted commas are not necessarily the right decisions for a relationship where both couples work. Absolutely. Would you, would you agree? <laughs> yeah. And I think it's because we tend to think of sensible decisions in terms of short term decisions. So what makes sense today? And what makes sense today very often doesn't make sense, even in two years' time, never mind five years' time. So classic time is, um, you know, the arrival of a, of a new baby. We can often, for those of you who've had babies, you know, we, our thinking becomes very short-term, you know, have they fed, have they slept, etc. And this is a time when couples can make decisions which can impact their careers forever. You know, for example, um, you know, taking a back seat on a career for a while, going part-time, now, if this is what we really want, that's wonderful. But so, so often couples make decisions at this time, which makes sense, seems sensible in the short term, but long term have really dramatic consequences for their careers individually, but also as a family, like what kind of lifestyle can we sustain? What kind of opportunities can we give our children? And I mean, obviously addressing this, I mean, there are pretty some pretty significant results of not getting what you need and having, you know, making these sensible decisions that perhaps favour another partner or favour things that aren't, um, you know, from the heart, basically. I mean, what sort of results, I mean, what will happen in a relationship if, if one person begins to sort of put their decisions and their career uh, ambitions on hold for another, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, it's really a spiral down into guilt and resentment. And we can see this happening, that what happens is the scales start to tip. And once they start tipping, they tip quite quickly. And the couple becomes set up such that one partner is the supporting act and the other partner is um, having their dreams supported. And I think it's really important to say, this is not just about career dreams. So it's not about, do I work part-time and my partner, you know, go for gold working full-time. It's really about what is my, what are my dreams? What are my ambitions? And am I getting supported to do them? Whatever they are. And, um, and when that balance starts to tip, that's where this sense of resentment comes into the relationship. And what I found in my research, which is really fascinating and is a warning across the bow for couples that let's say I have, uh, uh, let me give you a personal example. I always wanted to write a book. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, before I said that to my husband, it was very easy for me to sit there and think, well, I really want to do this, but it's not going to work for the family because it's going to take a lot of time and I have a full-time job. So, you know, maybe I should just sit on it and not do anything about it. Now, what I found time and time again is people who did that came to resent their partner even though their partner had done nothing, right? Their mm. partner did not even know their dream. But when we don't verbalize what we want, like it or not, it becomes our partner's fault, which feels very unfair. But this is what happens in relationships. <laughs> we sit there and think, well, if you didn't work so much or if the children weren't such a burden or, you know, if school was easier, then I would be able to. And we start resenting our partners in the family. And so, 
it's really the opposite of thinking, oh, some people think, well, I don't want to feel selfish and, you know, say what I want. It's quite the opposite. If we don't say what we want and what's important to us, we're being selfish because we will end up in that spiral of, you know, resentment and regret through absolutely no fault of our partners and families. In fact, really, the blame is all, all on our shoulders at that point. So not verbalising is a big no-no. Yeah. What are the what are the other big no-nos in a dual career juggle that you've seen t- come up time and time again? Yeah, so the, the biggest no-no is not verbalising and then this power um, imbalance. I think another big no-no is is thinking we've got to do it all on our own. You know, mm. it takes it takes a community to support a couple and to support a family. And I think in these days, more and more of us are living away from our families of origin, um, from our support networks. And it's really important that working couples build those support networks, whether they're family or friends, rather than thinking, we're going to solve all this together. You know, the number of couples I spoke to who, who at the end of me talking to them said, are we the only ones struggling with this? Like, are other people struggling with this? And, you know, the answer is, we're all struggling with this. And you feel mm. alone because you've not got that community and we're not open within it. So that's another thing that's really important. So working within a sort of a group of uh, like-minded people that can support you as a couple, but also working together as a couple to support each other. Exactly. And really being open about this, because it's surprising how many people I would talk to them and they'd say, oh, yeah, almost all our friends are working couples, you know, and do you ever talk about the struggles? Well, no, I guess it's just us, right? And I think we're all sat there thinking it's just us when it's not, it's all of us. Oftentimes when you're in a couple and perhaps you've been together for a long time, these things happen insidiously, don't they? And before you know it, you're in a pattern. Exactly. And as I said, you know, maybe the warning signs are a bit of resentment or a bit of grumbling or whatever. What's the most effective way to pull back and to then restart the negotiation, restart the, I don't know, is it a negotiation or is it a, what is it? Yeah, it's a great question. Let me answer answer both parts. I'm not sure it's just a negotiation, actually, because that makes it sound as if there's a winner and a loser, which there really isn't in this situation if you do it right. Mm. I think it's it's a conversation, right? And the best way to pull back, and of course, this happens to all couples, you know, years go by and suddenly you wake up and think, oh, goodness, how did we get here? This is not a good spot. And this happens to all couples at certain points, The best way to pull back from that is really to get out of what's happening in the day-to-day. So when couples get into this struggle crisis point, they can really focus on, well, you did this yesterday or this has happened and I'm not, I'm not able to do this. That's really difficult because um, obviously that it's very, we're touching each other's hot buttons. It's really important at that stage to get out of the day-to-day and get back to these fundamentals and look at, okay, talk about, okay, what do we both really want? What matters to us in life? And this could be in various domains. It might be a specific career goal. It might be a personal goal, having space for a hobby. It could be anything, but it's really important that we understand what matters to each other. And what can often happen as a couple is we, I, I might know what my, what my partner, what mattered to my partner at 28, mm. but it's likely to be very different at 38 and certainly at 48. And so we can think we know what matters to our partners, but that changes, I mean, not on a day-to-day basis, but it does evolve as we grow in our lives and our careers. So understanding that is really, really important because once we understand that, we can know what we're supporting. And what I found 
time and time again with couples in crisis was it's not that they were not supportive of each other. It was that they didn't really understand what it was they were supporting. And so they were giving the wrong kind of support or supporting in the wrong direction because they didn't really understand that foundation of each other's, you know, ambitions, desires, dreams out of life. So getting back to those fundamentals is really important. And it also gets you away from those, you know, those hot buttons of what you did mm. yesterday and, and what's happening right now. I mean, this idea of the right support is really interesting. It all seems to demand quite a lot of self-awareness before you even go into, you know, having the conversation with your partner. But then is it an idea that you can be quite clear on the support that you need. So for example, if you want to travel for work, then you need to have childcare solutions put in place and you need to have XYZ, you know, you need to have very clear things that will make it work for you. Yes and no. I think it's true. None of, you know, we all like to think we're self-aware, but no, none of us know everything no. we want out of life. And this is, and so it's not about, okay, I can't talk to my partner about this until I have absolute clarity. It's, you know, this is an ongoing conversation. This isn't a once-off. This is the habit of having these conversations. And I think clarity comes through conversations. We all know that when we talk about things, they become clearer. And then I think it is about asking for the right sort of support. And what's really interesting, what I found is that the kind of support we think we want is often not the support we need. So let me, let me clarify that. When we think of what good support looks like, we tend to think of the good old British tea and sympathy, right? We want our partner to plump up our self-esteem, make us feel good about ourselves and tell us not to worry about things. This is lovely. I mean, who doesn't like this? I like this just in case my husband's listening. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it's actually not that helpful in the long term if that's the only support we need, we get from our partners. The really helpful support, particularly when it comes to a period where we're in transition, maybe we're taking a big career step, maybe we're in transition as a family, you know, the, the kids have reached a certain age and our couple's transitioning. In those transition points, the kind of support we need is a bit more a loving kick up the bum than a loving cuddle. Mm. Now, let me explain what that means is if we are in transition, we're in a period of growth, right? We need to experiment. We need to explore. We need to go out and look at different options. If we're given that kind of loving cuddle support, it keeps us in our comfort zone, which is not helpful for our exploration, right? Mm. We need a little bit of a loving push away from the relationship to give us the impotent to explore, to take some risks, and to just try new ways of being together as a couple, new ways of being together in our relationship. And what I found was that couples who could provide each other, of course, the loving cuddle, but also the loving push, mm. really fared well in the long term, really fared well in the long term. But it can feel a little bit counterintuitive, right? If we're in a transition period and we're feeling a bit wobbly, a bit uncertain, our tendency is to pull our partner close, right, to keep them really close. And oftentimes couples at this stage would feel like, you know, I just feel a bit suffocated in my, my relationship. And I'm sure we can all relate to that periods of times where we've been in relationships or in the relationship we're in now where we've just felt a bit suffocated. And those are the times we really need this loving push support mm. to say, you know, I trust you, you know, go out, try something new, and then we'll sort of regroup and carry on. I mean, could you also use it as a way of, uh, you know, planning together? I mean, obviously not, you know, you've got different careers, but you can, you know, you could perhaps, I, I imagine, use it as quite an invigorating exercise to sort of say, well, why don't you, what about, you know, that? Or have you thought about that? Or how about Absolutely. trying that? Absolutely. And of course, what happens over time is 
our careers are very intertwined, whether even if we work in completely different fields and completely different organizations, our careers are very intertwined, such that in a number of different ways, one is, you know, if one of us has a period of career growth, often it can spark a period of career growth for the other, right? We can provide a kind of role modeling for each other. It's also in terms of our emotional experience of work. If one of us is having a hard time and struggling, it's likely to spill over onto the other person. And many couples' careers are somehow complementary. Um, both in terms of the investment we need to give and also the domains we explore. So our careers are often a lot more connected than we think they are. So it's a great exercise to do together. For people that are listening in today, they're going to go out and buy the book, but they want to get a march on things. What would be three easy things that they could do in their partnership today to move it forward in this dual couple respect? Yeah. So the what? Let me start with the absolute one thing. The one thing is, you know, tonight go home, open a glass of wine, pour a mug of hot chocolate, whatever, whatever. <laughs> snuggle up on the sofa if you've got kids. Make sure they're in bed, and start the habit of these conversations. And there are three really important things you need to talk about. One is what really matters to me and to us. Again, what broad brush, not just careers. The second really important thing is what are the lines we're not going to cross i.e. what are the boundaries of our relationship? And if an opportunity comes up on the other side of this boundary, it's just a no. So this, these lines might be geographic. You know, mm. we are going to restrict ourselves to, you know, the southeast of England. And if an opportunity came up in Manchester, it's just a no. It's not going to work for us. It might be a time boundary. You know, how much work travel is too much travel or how much time at work is too much work that it really negatively influences me. These lines are really, really important because, you know, we're taught, uh, especially in the UK, that more choice is better. But that's the opposite of what the research shows. The research shows that the more choice we have, the harder it is to choose and the more we regret our decisions. And so having these these lines restricts our choices, which is a very healthy thing for couples. Because one of the biggest mistakes couples make is taking on too much. They don't know what to say no to. But if we have these lines, if we know what's important to us and we have these lines, it makes decision making a lot easier. And the third thing to talk through tonight is um, what scares you in the relationship? Now, this is a bit of a harder conversation, but this is so, so important because oftentimes our partner inadvertently activates the things we're worried about. They don't know or they don't appreciate how much something's bothering us or how much something is concerning us. And so they can sort of press a hot button without realizing it. And so sharing these concerns is really important to help develop this sensitive partnership. So there we have it. You've got things to get on with when you go home uh, for everyone that's listening. Um, my final question is is a more broad reaching one. Um, I wanted to just ask you whether, you know, obviously the idea of success is, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting one to debate. Um, are we saying that real success is about being successful in both love and work? I mean, do we need to redefine success in order to be truly successful? I think so. And I think we need to have a plurality of definitions because right now success tends to be defined as one of two things, either having a totally stellar career, 
Mm-hmm. Or having this mythical work-life balance <laughs> where we have this great career, amazing relationship, tons of sex. Our kids are always happy, never ill. You know, we have all these hobbies. We can cook perfectly. We have this perfectly preened dog who follows us everywhere. <laughs> like no one has this life. And I think this kind of idea of success of this perfectly balanced life is killing us all because we've kept, we're trying to achieve something that no one has. And even when they show pictures of the celebrity having it, that's not their real life. And so I think we need to be more flexible and say, okay, success, you're successful if you are doing the things that matter to you, whatever that is. And for some things, for some people, what matters to them is just in one or two domains. For other people, what matters to them is in across a lot of domains. And so I think we need to start defining success a bit more subjectively, right? What does success mean to you individually and are you getting it? Rather than objectively, who, who owns, owns the most or who has this picture-perfect life on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is. Mm. I mean, presumably, if you're in a, in a relationship and you're reading the book, and you've got a career, you want success in in both your relationship and your career. Can we have it both? Can we have it all in that respect and all with a very, you know, (laughs) inverted commas around it? Yes, we can. And, And when I describe having it all, I'm talking about having a career that's meaningful to us and having a solid relationship. Now, nothing immunizes you against life. We all face sick children, parents die, illnesses, you know, you're not going to be protected from bumps in the road. But I've seen in my research of more than 100 couples across the world, yes, we can have both those things and it takes some work. And the book is all around what is the investment you need to make to make that happen. Now, it's not going to make you CEO or or whatever, (laughs) but it's going to be like, how can we get the careers we want and the relationship we want and and invest in that and make sure it works out over the long term. And the answer is definitely, it takes a bit of investment to get there. Fantastic. Jennifer, it's been great to talk to you. Thanks for joining us. Super. Thank you. Mm-hmm. 